Hey, Rockbridge, thanks so much for joining us for our summer series. We're in this series called Wow, where we're just talking about things that we see in Scripture, in God's Word, that wow us, where we just stand amazed at something He says, something He promised, a truth that He conveys to us. This weekend, I get the privilege of speaking directly to our Rockbridge Cleveland campus and also to those of you who are watching online and one of our online connection environments. In fact, if you are watching online, love for you to share with us where you're watching from. Even if you're like watching at the beach or at the lake somewhere, let us know where you're watching. And uh, we're praying that God's word reaches you where you are because that's the power of God's word. So as I was talking about this message with some of our leaders at Rockbridge Cleveland, uh, Corey and Amy, Jimmy, that Mark, the elders, we really sort of came up with this, with this concept, this theme that we see all in Scripture, and, and sometimes we gloss over this, but I really am hoping and praying that this will wow us in a fresh, anointed way this weekend online and at Rockbridge Cleveland. And here's the wow, that wow, God wants to use us for His purposes. Wow, that God wants to use us, that God who could just speak things into existence, God who can create things out of nothing, God who can do anything with his omnipotence, actually wants to use people like me and people like you for his purposes, that he's put in us a desire for significance. He's put in us a capacity to have like holy ambitions beyond survival. So like the apes down in the zoo, you know, they, they don't really sit around thinking, how, do I, how am I going to be significant? And they don't have ambitions greater than their survival. He, he's put that in us as made in his image. And then he's designed a path and a plan that, wow, he wants to use us for his purposes. Now, he, here's what I've learned in like 20 years uh, of pastoring and also just living as a, as a fallen, insecure, fearful human being. That sometimes when you read a statement like this, you immediately get resistant or you immediately back away and you're, you're like, man, who me? God, God doesn't want to use someone like me. Or, or you're like, man, if God used me on my purposes, then I would get moved out of my comfort zone and I'm not open to that. Or, or sometimes we go through hard times in life and really, we're not interested in God's purposes. We're like interested in just our own survival. Like we're just trying to get through a day or get through a week. And then sometimes your pain or your sense of hurt or woundedness is so great that your, your pain is greater than God's calling or God's purposes. And, and so it's easy to see a statement like this and immediately just sort of kind of fold your hands like, yeah, but that, that's maybe for a few people. But I'm just here to tell you based on the authority God's word. This wow is for all people. This wow is for anybody who professes and confesses Jesus as Lord. This wow is for Rockbridge Cleveland. This wow is for those of you who are watching online. Uh, this wow is kind of the wow that started this church 20 years ago. And, and so to help us kind of understand this and, and bring this wow to fruition in our own lives, we're going to walk through this, this principle, this truth, this promise in action in the life of a guy named Nehemiah. Uh, so we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 1, in the Old Testament, in Nehemiah, and, and, and we're going to see a pattern emerge, a pattern for how God moves people to walk with him, to accomplish his, his pur to accomplish his purposes. So again, if you have God's word, if you have the Bible, open it up, turn your Bible on, or you're welcome to follow along with me as we jump into Nehemiah chapter one. 
So here's the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah, during the month of Kislev in the 20th year. So we're just inside of actual history of God's people. Now, here's the significance of what's going on. This guy, Nehemiah, is a Jewish man who's been exiled under the exilic period when most of the Jews were carted off to Babylon and lived in various cities that were under captivity of the Babylonians. And so Nehemiah is one of those. Now, there's a remnant of people who were left behind or back in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. And so this is where the stories tie in. So Nehemiah is here. He's in exile. He's actually a cupbearer to the king, the king of uh, the enemy, the enemy king, basically, of God's people. And so when he was in the fortress city of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah. So this would be basically the promised land. And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. So they were not carted off into the distant lands of Persia or the Babylonians. So Nehemiah is curious, man, how are things going in my hometown? How are things going with with God's chosen people back in the promised land? And and this starts our journey or starts us on this pattern of how God moves us to work within and and, and on his purposes. So the first thing is this, I, I think we need to learn to question our questions. So Nehemiah, his questions are way beyond our typical questions. His questions are, he wants to know how people far away are actually doing. And this is really when we start to get inside of the heart and the plan of God. Because most of us, when I say question our questions, these are the questions that most of us are driven by. When we get home at night, these are the questions we report to our family or we share on social media. How am I doing? Are things going my way today? How was your day? And for most of us, that's the only questions that we ask ourselves. Did anything upset you? Did anything bother you? Did did anything get you out of your comfort zone? We don't know. It's how am I doing? Are things going my way today? And that's really the questions we ask. Nehemiah is actually serving in the royal palace, so he's pretty comfortable and he's doing okay, but there's a holy curiosity, a holy questioning, man, how are they doing back in the homeland? How are they doing back in Jerusalem? And this is so insightful, okay, because listen, God wants to do something through every single person that's listening to me. There's not a single person that that wow truth does not apply to, but God's work in our lives is never what I'm going to just call a selfie. It never just stops on us. It's not just me and my deal. It's not just what God did for me. Yes, God does something for us, but it always wants to go beyond us. God's blessing, God's work, God's favor is always designed to go past us. It's not just to terminate on a me, myself, and I. And really, The beautiful thing about our salvation that sometimes we miss in our overly individualistic society is that, yes, God saves me, but he saves me into a we, which is the church. That's universal in nature, but local in expression. So God died for me. God saved me. I have a personal relationship with him. God has a wonderful plan for my life. All of those things are true, but they're incomplete unless we understand the we of the church. And then the church has this beautiful mission where it's concerned with people who aren't yet its members. And so let's see that. But let's stop for a second. When you hear the word church, 
what comes to mind. And, and this illustrates part of the reason why so many of us sometimes miss God's purposes, because we've reduced and minimized the beauty of what God intended and how God designed the church. So when we think of church, some of us think of a building, some of us think of an event on the calendar or an hour on the week, and, and sometimes we think of church as a spiritual Walmart. Like I, I go to Walmart to get anything I need, I go to church to get my spiritual needs met. But God has in mind, when he moves his people, he wants wants to move through his people to bless and do things beyond his people. That's the scope of his purposes. So when we talked about Rockbridge 20 years ago, when we talked about Rockbridge and how we became a multi-site church, when we talked about Rockbridge and should we begin a, a work in Cleveland, Tennessee, some things come to mind. And these are some of the truths that have guided our church, that the church is the hope of the world. Because we have this message that is life-changing, eternity-altering. And, and we said it another way. We said the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And, and the church has to exist for people that aren't yet a part of it. And so when I say, and we see this in Nehemiah's life, question your questions. If ever the questions we're asking just become all about me, myself, and I, they become selfie in nature, our selfie culture that we live in, we're going to miss God's purposes. We're not going to get out of our comfort zone. We're not going to get to that level of significance that God's hardwired into us to achieve as we pursue his purposes, as we pursue his plans. So Nehemiah just starts with, how are people doing 600 miles away? Haven't heard, and I'm curious. And here comes the answer. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Highly significant because this means the city is vulnerable. The wall is, can't protect the city. The gates can't keep people in, keep people out. And so the, the city is vulnerable. Things are not going well. And so it's in great trouble and disgrace. Now, how does Nehemiah respond? How is Nehemiah going to respond to this? Because isn't there in, in a little bit of us, when we hear bad news that's far away, when we hear bad news that's like, kind of way out there. We're like, well, you know, that's too bad. But we're sort of kind of like, well, it doesn't really impact me. It doesn't really change me or really doesn't impact my day. But that's not going to be Nehemiah's response. Instead, when he heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And we'll get inside his prayer in just a little bit. But what we need to see is Nehemiah six, seven, eight hundred miles away, is deeply moved, deeply bothered by this report of how things are going back in Jerusalem. It wounds him. It hurts him. It upsets him, which takes us to the movement number two. So we're going to question our questions. And then the second thing is we're going to question the things that bother us. Question the things that bother us. It's easy, right, to withdraw and shrink our world down to just our deal. 
And so it bothers us when something interferes with our plans, when the weather isn't what we had hoped for based on what we were planning to do. It bothers us, you know, when we're in the you know, fast lane and somebody's going slow. It bothers us when Wi-Fi is not working like it should. And all that, you know, maybe legit and all that. But what we're seeing in Nehemiah is this. He's bothered by something that bothers God. And that's really the big question in moving on to God's purposes, am I bothered by what bothers God? And, and, and then, you know, well, what bothers God? Well, we can get into that, but first, am I bothered by what bothers God? And, and what we're going to see is this tension that, that Nehemiah knows about, the tension between what is and what could be and what should be. See, the, the, the rubble in Jerusalem and the disgrace of Jerusalem it is a physical reality, it's a military reality, but it illustrates the spiritual condition of the people. And Nehemiah will pray in, in regards to that, but this tension between what is, Jerusalem's in disgrace, and what could be and should be, Jerusalem should be the spiritual, the economic, and the political capital of God's chosen people. This exile did not have to happen. It should not have happened. It happened because the Jewish people violated God's law, disobeyed God, broke covenant with God, and as a consequence, they were exiled. This is God's word said. And so Nehemiah feels this. Nehemiah feels this and he's bothered by it. So what bothers God or what moves the heart of God? Well, you have to remember the world that you and I live in is not the world that God intended or in the original plan. We were treasonous. We hijacked it. We did it our way instead of God's way. And so one of the ways to understand what's wrong with the world is to understand that, hey, something's wrong with humanity and that we're broken and we're flawed and we're sinful, but to also see how God responded to our brokenness, how God has responded to our fallenness and what he's been doing since Genesis 3 can be summed up in one word. So if we're going to ask ourselves, and man, am I bothered with what, God's, with what bothers God? Am I moved with what moves God? God has been working and moving at, at, for this word since Genesis 3, that's restoration. That he is working to restore people back into relationship with him. He's going to eventually restore creation. He's going to eventually restore, and there will be a new kingdom, a new heavens, a new earth. So God is in the act of restoration. So when Nehemiah is bothered by Jerusalem in rubble, he is capturing the heart of God for that situation because God is a God of restoration. He wants to move from rubble to restoration. And that's certainly true in, in terms of architect and that architectural, uh, the architectural layout of Jerusalem. That's certainly true in, in what was going on in that time period. But it's true now that God's after restoration. He wants to restore lost people into his family. He wants to restore places that have been marred by injustice. He wants to bring justice. He's a, he wants to restore homes. He wants to restore families. He wants to restore people in line with what Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this prayer, part of this prayer is that tension we talked about. What is versus what could be and should be. So what is, is God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And God wants to restore that. And we at Rockbridge, we use this phrase, we are kingdom seekers, right? So we are seeking the kingdom of Jesus. So wherever we find people, places, situations where God's will is not being done, we want to see God's will done. And that's a restoration of God's will being done. And so Nehemiah is upset in line with this prayer. Nehemiah is upset with what I'll call a holy discontent. So, so we, we, we're sometimes as Christians, we're told we're, we're supposed to be content, right? But there's a holy discontent that exists, and that holy discontent is key to cooperating with and moving with God and being a part of God's purposes. And, and so Nehemiah is going to pray into this. So he's, we're questioning our questions, and then are we getting bothered by the things that bother God? As we get increasingly comfortable and fluent in God's will and understand His plan of restoration, we can identify this movement of the Holy Spirit in us and in our church. Like I, I tell people all the time, you know, when we were talking about Rockbridge, we started, and our holy discontent was in the county we started in, there's 50,000 people. That's like 60, 70 percent of the population that did not go to church actively or consistently. And we were bothered by that. Because if you pull the string, most of those people didn't have a personal or a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know God's bothered by that. That's why he's a missionary God. He's a sending God. And so that's kind of what launched Rockbridge Community Church into existence. It's a holy discontent. So Nehemiah is going to pray his discontentment to God. And the shape of his prayers actually is, is quite beautiful. So we pick it up in verse 5. And he says, Lord... The God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. He, he starts by getting his eyes up on God. And he says, God, you're awe-inspiring. God, you're great. And God, you keep covenant with people. If there's a problem in the covenant, which is just the committed relationship that God has with his people, if God will never break that covenant. If there's a problem in the covenant, covenant it's because we violated that covenant. And then he says, God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to your servant's prayer. God, I need you to hear me. God, I want you to hear me. God, I'm not going to presume you hear me. I'm going to ask you to hear me. So let your ear be attentive to your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants. He's praying for those back in Jerusalem. He's praying for what's going on in the promised land. The, your servants, the Israelites. And, and right here, he's capturing the purpose of Israel. That Israel as God's people are to serve God's purposes in their generation. Now, we know the church now has been grafted into and included in Israel. So the church also exists to serve God's purposes. Now, they're not able to serve God's purposes because they're in disgrace. They're in exile as a consequence of breaking this covenant that God, awe-inspiring God, will never break. So that's where the people are. So he's praying into this reality. He says, I confess. See, he knows something. If something has gone wrong, it's because of sin in us, not a problem with God or His purposes. So he says, I confess the sins that we have committed against you. And Nehemiah identifies with the sinfulness of the entire nation. I can, both I and my father's family have sinned. 
We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the command statutes and ordinances that you gave your servant Moses in the Mosaic Covenant, which we might know of more as the Ten Commandments and by extension some other things. So please remember, though, what you commanded your servant Moses. And then he prays Scripture. The reason we pray Scripture is Scripture is the will of God. He's praying out of Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says, God said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. They're living this reality because of their unfaithfulness to the covenant that God had established with them. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chose to have my name dwell. That's Jerusalem. The people that you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. And he's recalling the exodus, the rescue out of Egypt, the rescue out of slavery. He's like, this is our identity. We are your servants who serve your purpose. Yes, we have acted unfaithful, but you have promised that if we come back and return to you, then you will bring us back together and place us to dwell in Jerusalem or in the promised land. So the third movement of God, if we're going to move on purpose with him, is to pray big prayers. Big prayers. Big prayers. Prayers that change things. Prayers that are way beyond, God, let it be a Burger King, go my way today, day. Right? Big prayers. And we'll see that big prayers have a couple of things in common. First is they're built on God's character, not on our performance. If our prayers are based on our performance, nothing happens. If our prayers are based upon the character of God, which is great, which is merciful, which is gracious, which is covenant-keeping, then something happens. We're basing our prayers, building our prayers on the character of God. And Nehemiah knows something. God is a God. We've already said one word. He's a God of restoration. But restoration requires repentance. Restoration requires us to change our thinking and change our behaving and change our believing to line back up with God's will, to line back up with God's purposes, to line back up with God's plan. And so repentance is necessary to get to restoration. And Nehemiah prays this prayer that's quite beautiful. It's kind of a prayer of corporate repentance, but he's the only person praying it. And we'll see if God moves. We'll see what, God ha- what happens. But he takes another part of, this, of his prayer, and it's based on God's promises of Deuteronomy chapter 4. So it's built on his character. It's based on his promises. And I just want to ask us for a second. Promises of God are like bullets in the gun for the Christian. Like if we don't have promises of God that are motivating us, driving us, shaping our prayers, we, we're just kind of powerless. Our guns have nothing in them. But when we pray the promises of God, which line up with the purposes of God and the character of God, we can suddenly live with great expectancy that God is going to do something. God is going to do something. See, listen, as long as prayer is an option, being stuck is a choice. So Nehemiah is learning about a situation that seems stuck, that seems hopeless, that seems where they're they're just powerless. But not when Nehemiah starts to pray. He doesn't pray with a spirit of hopelessness. He doesn't pray with a spirit of frustration. He doesn't pray with a spirit of futility. He's praying in bold faith. He's praying big prayers because that's part of the pattern of moving to be be about God's purposes. 
So I just want to share some promises with God that I think can fuel us as God's people. I think wherever you're watching online or here in Rockbridge, Cleveland, these promises of God excite me and energize me, and I pray they excite you and energize you as we pray them and read them over our church. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is a promise that can be taken individualistically, that I can think of that when God saved me, Matt Evans, in 1983, this promise applied to me that day, and it will apply to me until God completes me in the day of Christ Jesus. So when I'm tempted to give up, when I'm tempted to believe God's quit working on me or quit working through me, this promise tells me, no, that's not true, Matt. Live with expectancy. God's not finished with you yet. But This promise was written to a specific church in the region of Philippi. And so we, the people of God, gathered here at Rockbridge Cleveland, gathered here at Rockbridge Online Connections, we can take this verse and say, you know what? God has started us a good work in and through us as the people of God, part of Rockbridge Community Church, and we believe he's got good works to come out of us, and he's going to be faithful to us in that. Another promise. Matthew 16, 18. And I also say this to you, that you are Peter. Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And on this rock, this confession of truth about the messianic identity, I will build my church. God will build his church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I, I understand that whether we're talking about the church in America or or sometimes as we come out of COVID or we deal with transitions or we deal with just life, sometimes it feels like the church has lost its edge or the church has lost its vitality. But this promise comes to us as the people of God, as the church of God, and it's backed by the Word of God, by the words of Jesus, where He says, I will build, not you and you and you or Matt or the elders, but I, Jesus, will build the church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it, meaning we're going to be on the offensive. We're not going to live on the defensive, and we've got the promises of God and the power of God to back us up. It's great to be a part of a team and a family that's backed by the power and the promises of God. And then this one is such a good one to have in our gun, this promise. We know that God causes everything to work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Now, we don't have to know Greek to know that everything in Greek means everything. There's not anything that happens to God's kids, to God's children, that will not come about and bring ultimate good. It may take longer than we think. We may not be able to see it immediately, but God's promise, God's word is sure that he is going to take everything that happens and bring good from it. That's how powerful he is. That's how sovereign he is. That's how gracious he is. And those three verses just fuel hope. They fuel expectancy, and they frame up bold praying. Now, the third part of bold praying is those prayers then are aligned with God's purposes, that we want something that God wants, that we ask God to do something that we know He wants to do, that we say, God, bless this, 
because we know this is the kind of thing you can bless based on who you are, based on what you've promised, and based on what your purposes of restoration are. And that's how we're going to see Nehemiah close his prayer. And listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. No presumption. Please, God, I am desperate for grace. I am desperate for mercy. If you don't, it won't. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. This is our ambition, God. This is why in our mission statement, listen, our mission statement, we added this because it needed to be added. That we begin our mission statement with to glorify God. Then we say by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. So it's an evangelical mission statement. It's a great commission mission statement. But its ultimate aim and ambition is hallowed be your name. That's how that prayer starts, right? Hallowed be your name. God, let your name be honored. We delight to honor your name. God, this church exists to delight in you, to honor your name, to glorify you. So God, so I need you to hear my prayer, he says. And, and God, we delight in honoring your name. This is all about you, God. This is not about me, myself, and I. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Now, the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, is Nehemiah is not so much praying for what's going on back in Jerusalem. He's praying for what's going on right here where he's at in the citadel of Susa, that he's basically saying, God, I want you to use me to do something about that situation back in Jerusalem. He gets more specific. He says, put it into the king's heart, put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So he's the guy that took the king wine or drink and tasted it to make sure it wasn't poison. And he served the king. So he had an audience with the king. He was around the king all the time. And apparently, Nehemiah, as he's been praying, realizes maybe the miracle I need to ask God for is the miracle that God would use me and that I would have favor in the king and that I've been providentially, strategically positioned by a sovereign God to pray a prayer such as this and be used by God for him to do something through me to change the situation in Jerusalem where God's will is not being done. So, so you see the progression is that God does something in us so that he can do something through us. And from the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 1 until he finishes this prayer at the end of chapter 1, God's been working in Nehemiah to give him a holy burden, a holy discontent, to move him to pray in a God-glorifying direction, in a God-glorifying way, that then God would give him an opportunity to be used to change the situation back in Jerusalem. You know, I was looking um, at some old prayers of mine back from like 2002 of how I was praying uh, for Rockbridge. And, uh, and I was a little convicted here 20 years later because I was like, I, I don't know that my prayers are as specific or as expectant or bold. But, but I just wrote some, some of them down. 
One of them I prayed for 100 members. We needed three Rockbridge kids build, bridge builders. We wanted three new small group leaders for adults. And then I said, God, we want to see people saved. And then I found another prayer list, and it had five specific names of people that I knew were disconnected from a local church and or did not have a, a saving relationship with Jesus. I pray, so I had these five names written down. And here, here's the story. Four of those five eventually attended our church at least once or twice. Three of them became active. And then one of those got his whole family that was unchurched, disconnected, coming to church. They still come to this day. And then I got a phone call in the middle of the night, and he had died in his sleep. And I, had, and I preached. He was my friend from high school, and I preached his funeral. But I was able to preach that he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I, I don't, I, I don't uh, have an explanation except that when God moves us to pray, he means for us to receive. When we pray big prayers, when we pray prayers that are aligned with God's heart, when we pray prayers that are motivated by what bothers us, bothers God, and we're seeking God's name to be honored. And, and so listen, here, here's the final one, okay? When we see and cooperate with what God's doing in us and realize it's not going to stop with us but go out beyond us and go through us, then we, the people of God, need to be available, we need to be alert, and we'll be, re and be ready because God is going to open a door to do something through us. What that looks like for you and for me and for Rockbridge Cleveland, it's going to be varied based on the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God. What it looked like for Nehemiah is nothing happens for four months. You go to chapter 2 and you can read it on your own. And then one day he's in the presence of the king and the king looks at him and says, Nehemiah, why do you look so gloomy or why do you look so sad? And Nehemiah, in that moment, he prays a prayer. He prays, God, give me success and give me favor. And then he tells the king what's happening in Jerusalem and how he's bothered by it. And the king is moved. And the king authorizes Nehemiah, the cupbearer, to go back and become Nehemiah, the rebuilder, because God is a God of restoration. And wow, God wants to use us for his purposes. So wherever you are on your journey, as an individual Christian or as a part of Rockbridge or someone who's thinking about becoming part of Rockbridge, when we are wowed by that truth that God wants to use us for his purposes and we allow the questions we're asking to go beyond me, my deal, and myself, and me and my plans, and me and my day, and we, allow, we start getting bothered by what bothers God, right? And we start praying bold prayers, big prayers, faith-filled prayers. God's about to move. And here's what I've learned. When God's moving, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. That's my prayer for Rockbridge Cleveland. That's my prayer for those of you watching Rockbridge Online. Let's all pray together. God, I thank you for everybody that's been listening today. I pray, God, we're all affected by the story of Nehemiah. And that in Nehemiah's story, we can identify in some way, God, with how you're working in us and desiring to work through us. So, God, we're just standing here praying for an open door, praying with expectancy to be your people, faithful to your purposes and your heart and your mission. 
in Rockbridge, Cleveland, at Rockbridge Online, and in all of our other five physical locations. So, God, I'm just asking you right now, what you did in Nehemiah in his day and his time, would you do that in us in our day and our time? And as you move, God, may we be faithful, bold, and courageous to move with you. All for the glory of your name, that name in which we pray. Amen.